Hello, and welcome to the Corporate Activist Podcast. I'm Siri Kalsa, and I'm delighted to have you join me for season two. I hope you enjoyed all the great conversations we had in our first season, and I can't wait to bring you a whole new group of conversations with people working in the field of corporate activism. My goal is to inform and inspire all of you out there about ways the business community can engage in social and political issues to really make a difference in the world. My guest for this first episode of season two is Giles Gibbons. Giles is the CEO and founder of Good Business, one of Europe's leading corporate responsibility consultancies, working with organizations that want to ensure they're always a valuable part of our society as it changes. He's worked with some of the world's biggest brands, including Google, Coca-Cola, and Starbucks. Giles is also the founder of the Sustainable Restaurant Association, a not-for-profit membership organization helping restaurants become more sustainable. Welcome, Giles. So, Giles, I'm really happy to have you join us today, particularly because you're someone who has a real depth and breadth of experience in corporate activism, which is something that's quite rare. So I'd love to start out by learning a bit more about you and what got you interested in this field to begin with. Great. Uh, Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I used to be in advertising many, many moons ago, sort of 30 odd years ago, my first career was in advertising. Really, it was then that I felt that I could see the power of brands in a really positive way, you know, how they could affect people's lives. And during that period, we used those techniques to not just help commercial businesses, but to help government and campaigns as well. But they sat very separately. And it was really when we brought those two things together, where we brought brands and campaigns together around particular issues, that we had this sort of magic moment where we realized that not only were brands brilliant communicators to people about particular campaigning issues, but also that people liked the brands more for doing that. And that was the creation of Good Business, which is the company I run, which I set up 28 years ago. So the sort of foundation of everything that we have done has stemmed from the concept of the power of businesses and brands playing a role in persuading the world to change for the better. And I imagine you saw that synergy both on the side of customers but also kind of stakeholders in the business right where it wasn't just that you saw companies being able to move beyond sort of ticking the box of corporate social responsibility but actually seeing that it had a significant impact on their business is that is that the experience well well, certainly back then in 1994 where we had this sort of eureka moment and we're really only talking about consumers because that's from an advertising perspective we were going out there and trying to project our clients brands to the people that could buy their product and to be honest then although there was a nascent csr and sustainability discussion going on it was very early days And therefore, the context of needing to talk to stakeholders about those issues was just not really in the sort of corporate dictionary, in a sense. We used to go and see clients or or potential clients back then and, and say, you know, what good business was all about. And they would go, well, you know, but we, we give a hundred thousand pounds to a charity that makes us a good business. And he's like, well, 
that doesn't make you a good business. That just means that you're a business that gives a hundred thousand pounds to a charity. There's nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't make you an, a, a better business. So our point was, how can you use your business to be better in yourself and help the world to be better too? And you know, created the line, which is if you if you want to change the world, do it through business, because we totally believed in the capitalist model. If you want to change your business, help change the world, as in actually by affecting change in the world, you can actually help your business. And it was the combination of those two things, which sort of we built the foundation of good business and the sustainability movement yeah. sort of come from that. That conversation is still something that's a little bit difficult to have with businesses these days. I wonder what was it like in 1996 when you first started to try to have these conversations? Like, who are some of your early adopters, and what were they, what were they thinking at the time? It was a difficult conversation then, but it was a very different, difficult conversation. And I'm sure we'll come on to talk about corporate activism today, which I think is very difficult. So, in, in a sense there are lots of different reasons that it's difficult, perhaps because of what we all know now, in a sense. But back then, actually, there were, you know, some, some wonderful businesses and brands who recognised that they could help society, like Nike ran a fantastic anti-racism campaign back in the 90s. It did some great work around inspiring girls to stay in sport, you know, and they did these really, really great campaigns early on because they weren't attached to what I would call the overall responsibility of the business. The problem back then was that particularly when we got into the boardroom and we're talking about the potential for corporate activism, the, the company said, yeah, but do we know how good we are in these areas or whether we have the right policies? And actually the truth was they just didn't know. And so really the corporate responsibility movement was a, was a kind of, well, we need to make sure that we're a good business before we start telling or engaging with other people about how they should change. And so it's taken a very long time for businesses to get themselves to the point of view where they're comfortable enough to be able to go, we're not perfect, we're not perfect, but we know where we're at on these issues and we can also help do these things too. And so actually the whole purpose sort of concept that really sort of developed in sort of 2015 onwards was an interesting one because actually I think that was where businesses began to be confident of themselves and they were managing their social and environmental impacts in order that they could have the confidence to say, and we're shooting for this North Star and that's why we're engaged in this campaign or that, or we're trying to help change things because they didn't feel that someone could turn around and sort of point at them and go, yeah, but what about your human rights here? Or what about your climate activities over there or whatever it may be? It was difficult to have those conversations and in many instances, people said no to what we were suggesting, but they said no for a different reason to what they're saying now. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. So, I mean, I think in a way it does speak to a certain kind of progress because perhaps in the beginning it was more of a marketing focus where, you know, we want to sort of show that we believe in these values, but actually it spurred an internal reworking that those values could be internalized so that then you could 
you know, speak to the to a larger population about it and at least try to control some of the backlash, which we'll, we'll come to a bit later, because I think that's probably one of the things that people are worried about now also is, is you know, the backlash that keeps coming. I'm curious, like in these early days, who is driving these kind of campaigns or this desire to engage? And was it sort of top down? Was it marketing driven? Uh, it was much more marketing driven at that point, mm. because, you know, they were the ones who were trying to project a positive image in a sense on the world. As you say, there was a separation between how the business sort of operated and what it was saying about itself. And perhaps that wasn't being particularly true to itself. And that's obviously changed now. And so it was definitely being led by brands and and marketing. I remember when the Harry Potter films were first being developed, Warner Brothers came to us with the idea that Coca-Cola was going to be the sort of lead partner in the films and they wanted it to be built around the idea of helping every child in the world to read and so we developed this big program unfortunately it never came to light but they were looking at ways that they could use their marketing muscle in a really positive way to affect change and deliver good brand outcomes as well. And that was great, but then the problem was those ideas got into the boardroom and the boardroom went, went well, hang on a sec, you know, can we do that to help young people over here when we don't even know whether there are any young people in our supply chain that, you know, because we've got there may be labor issues and sugar plantations in South America or whatever it may be. And therefore, actually, this is a real risk and therefore actually we better go back to safer ground. And so many of those things didn't happen. And that's when the realisation that you needed to know where you're at as an organisation, be actively managing your own social and environmental impacts, and then find a way to create corporate activism out of what you're doing. Do you see what I mean? And actually the best corporates are the ones that have actually just sort of extended what they're doing in their business to the outside world rather than some marketing agency come and I say, hey, what about doing this? It's more authentic. I'm curious on the, just on the financial side of it, was that also a consideration where people, number one, sort of thinking about the cost of these kind of interventions in terms of a return on it? Or was it just thought of as like, a, no, this is, we're, you know, a sort of donation or charity kind of thing? So one of the joys of marketing is that it's incredibly expensive (laughs) and therefore, and they don't know what bit of their marketing works and what bit it doesn't. There's that wonderful David Ogilvie quote that only half our clients advertising works. We're just not sure which half. So (laughs) I do think, you know, when, when you're, a Coca-Cola or, or, or one of those, and you're spending hundreds of millions of dollars a year on marketing, to include a corporate activism or a, a sort of what we used to call then a social marketing campaign, utilizing some of that budget to actually deliver the message or social change, it was absolutely to create returns, but the returns were brand returns rather than sales returns in that sense. Because in the same way that, you know, you tell me whether an ad, that 60 second ad in the Super Bowl final, whether that's meaning that you're going to pick up a, a soft drink, 
as a consequence of it, I think is very difficult for anyone to say. And so we were playing in a world where there wasn't black and white in terms of returns. What was so interesting, and this is, again, something that's really evolved since then, is actually what we found was that business people felt rather uncomfortable about doing it in a commercial way. They almost, they wanted to go, oh, no, we don't want to put the same sort of objectives onto this that we have in our commercial business. And my push back always was to them is like, if this is not commercial, if you don't do this in a commercial way, you'll never do it again. You know, right. the, the, the yeah, sort of absolutely. classic 1990s promotion in the UK was one called Computers for Schools, which Tesco's did. It's an incredibly simple mechanism, actually nothing to do with their business at all, other than that most people shopped at Tesco's, which is you got vouchers for your school to be able to get computer equipment. An enormous program cost an absolute, you know, hundreds of millions of pounds. But it was incredibly powerful from a loyalty perspective because people could walk into their local school and say, look, here's an X amount of vouchers and they would have five computers, you know, the month later. You know, it was a very tangible thing. That worked because Tim Mason, the then marketing director, recognized that it was a very commercial thing. It was like, you know. I could put the money into this ad, but I'm not. I'm going to put it into these vouchers and those vouchers I'm going to market the hell out of and people are going to like me more for doing it and I'm actually helping the school system too. So, you know, these things absolutely only work when you make them commercial. I'm sort of wondering, now that you've been at this for so long, when someone comes to you with a desire to put together a campaign, how do you talk to them about what the impact would be and how can they judge the success of the campaign and you know do you help advise them on who the campaign should be speaking to the most in order to have the most impact because i one of the things we're finding is that some of this is now internally driven where companies are actually looking to almost market to their own employees about the values of the company and the purpose of the company and that internal conversation has become very important Right, uh, lots of questions there. So I'm going to take, uh, take, take, I'm going to sort of break it down a bit because there's some very important points in that. I think the first point to say is incredibly rarely does a client turn up and say they want to campaign. It's just not the start point. The start point is normally the outcome from a purpose and values process where, you know, normally lots of stakeholders, internal and externally, have been involved. And it may be as a consequence of that purpose process that they may go, oh, well, we, and we want to do a campaign around this part of it. And it's part of what we're already doing in the business. And we're going to express it out to the rest of the world. So I don't think that people, companies are looking for single campaigns to be measured in their own right. They're looking at the role that purpose is playing in terms of all the elements that it is affecting within your business, how we're changing decisions, how it helps us build our culture, the role we play in, in communicating to our stakeholders, our consumers. So there's lots of ways that it sort of expresses itself, not just the single campaign itself. 
if you've done the purpose and the strategy right and you've got a strong sustainability base for it then in a sense the impact comes in two ways it comes from how is this impacting the business straightforward you know kpis objectives all the things that we would normally talk about and how's it impacting on the issue and actually I always think that people overcomplicate measurement. Measurement is, is it achieving the objectives that you want for the company? And is it having an impact on society outside the walls of the business, right? And those are easily measured in lots of different ways, depending on who you're doing it to and who you're focused on. Your third point, which is about, is this becoming more internal? I think is absolutely correct. And I think that is down to two things. One is, that we have a lot of very big companies who employ lots of people and those people are from a generation where they feel it is important that they represent the values of the organization they work for and therefore the organization needs to work really hard in order to show those people that it shares their values and actually more that it wants to understand what their values are in order that it can share those values and live those values. Alongside that, we've then got the whole issue in the outside world about it being increasingly difficult to have a point of view in the world because the world is polarizing. And therefore, one of the most authentic ways to do that is actually by giving your employees a voice and enabling them to be that campaign rather than you go off and do something separate to them. So in a way, I don't know, Cisco or Disney or, you know, these organizations of 70,000, 100,000 employees, it's more important that everyone within the organization is aligned behind a set of values and the causes, and then that they then go out to the outside world and engage with the outside world and stakeholders through their understanding of it. And that actually, almost that is much more powerful than a brand putting an ad that they've come up with in an agency that isn't as part of the employee base about tackling an issue when they don't feel it's relating to what they do day in, day out in their day job. You know, that doesn't work anymore. So partly because of the more fractious world that sits out there and partly because it is so important that you align with your people, I think internal is becoming ever more important. Yeah. And what do you think about CEOs who, and perhaps it's more prevalent in terms of privately held companies, but CEOs who perhaps decide that they really want to use their business as a platform for values that they want to promote. And this could be, you know, it's one thing when it's save the whales or, you know, something generally accepted, but if perhaps they have a, a political view that is quite divisive. You know, it seems like there are a few CEOs here and there who actually want to take these these stances. And it's a really tricky thing. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on that and, and how that works and how it doesn't. My quick answer is there really aren't many. And I know we can all name Elon Musk and say he's got some views, but I think he's a pretty <laughs> unique individual. I think the challenge here yeah. is not the worry about... CEOs who've got too many views. It's the worry that most CEOs won't stand on any platform and say anything about any issue. That's the real 
big talking point. And they won't do that because they feel that there is a large proportion of the population who is going to disagree with them just simply because they're the polarized state of the world. And therefore, whether they like it or not, they're going to get some pretty negative feedback from having a point of view about something. You know, we saw that obviously in, in the US around abortion in the last 12 months. You know, there have been some issues that for so many years have not been an issue that are now a huge issue, right? And these organizations are going, wow, how do we deal with this? You know, what, why would we take a position when we don't need to, you know? And so actually, look, there's no point in us sort of really trying to understand those ones who are politicized because they're so few and far between. It doesn't, I don't think it's a sort of, it's, it's not really worthwhile, but I think it is more interesting to try and go, how do we actually go back to our original point, which is that businesses have the amazing ability to create positive change in the world. But if we're not prepared to stand up for that, then we're not going to create the change. And that seems a real shame. So my sadness is that there aren't more CEOs standing on podiums going, we as a group of employees in this business believe this passionately and we want to, you know, engage the world on that and support these causes and try and use our business to help create change. Yeah. And that's the basis of your company, which you've been able to run successfully for, as you say, almost 30 years. So there must be enough people out there that are seeing the value in this and I think need help, right? Because I think even if you have a CEO who wants to engage they may not know all the ins and outs of complicated policy issues around gun laws or climate, whether it's flooding or the droughts in their area, or the safety of the dams around them. They do need advice and they do need some help. So I'm curious how your business, if it has, your business model has perhaps changed from when you started in terms of like helping brands in a marketing sense to now more helping companies in terms of a purpose sense and how then they put that purpose into action? I think if we had stayed as a corporate activism business, and actually I'd probably even change that to brand activism then, because that's really what we were talking about, we certainly wouldn't be here today. And I would even say that if we simply said we're here to help organisations find and sort of manage their purpose, I don't think we'd be here today. First and foremost, the last 30 years, we have helped organizations understand the impact that they have on the world, socially, environmentally. Think about how they can change that for the better, make the changes within the organization, and then communicate those changes out in a direction of travel to the outside world, be that net zero for climate change, reducing uh, human rights in the supply chain. I mean, you name it, all of these, you know, hundreds of different issues where a company and how it behaves butts up against society. And in a way, whilst it's less glamorous than corporate activism and brand activism, it has had an enormous impact on the world really enormous impact. And I know that there's many sort of detractors of globalization, 
but the way things are made, how they're made, how employees are looked after, you know, I mean, has totally revolutionized in the last 20 years. And that's down to, you know, how most organizations now run their sustainability strategy and deliver on social and environmental issues across their business. So that in itself is an incredibly important thing. And if you think about all the people who work in businesses who now think through all of these social and environmental impacts and ensure that they're being done properly, in a way, sustainability is the most powerful corporate activism concept that's never been talked about as a corporate activism concept, right? Because each person in the business is thinking about the impact that they're having, what they're doing, what they're not doing, how they can do it better, how they can use less carbon, less water, da 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 all these things that we now are challenging businesses to do. And in doing that, we're taking care of the planet, we're taking care of people, we're taking care of people in other markets where they might be producing the products. You know, we're thinking of better ways to transport things around the world. You know, do, do, do you know what I'm getting at? This is... This is if you, if you think about, I can't think of another business tool that has pervaded every conversation of every business really in the world, right? That is real corporate activism. That has changed every conversation. Yes, it would be better if there'd been campaigns on anti-racism. Yes, there'd be, you know, I could, there are lots of things where brands could have been used to shout from the rooftops about particular issues. But actually, the quiet endless work of changing the way business works over the last 30 years has had a huge and positive impact on the way that society operates and i think that that we should be incredibly proud of that it's not quite as sexy but it's really it's good work when we created the name for the company good business what we thought was that we wanted business to use their sort of tools to go out there and help change the world. Actually, what we've spent most time is trying to help people just be better businesses. And in doing Mm. that, I Mm. think that is the greatest definition of a good business. Yeah. And do you find that really any business can take this on, small, large? Because, you know, one of the things that we've noticed is that you might have someone who's already starting project where they're trying to use sustainable materials at the heart of their business is an idea of a a very sustainable model. But actually, if you go to a company that perhaps is a polluter or a chemical company or a pharmaceutical company where they're starting at zero, and actually you can help make a few changes within their supply chain or something, and then that actually can have a huge impact versus perhaps a smaller company that's just starting already with a sustainable model. I'm curious how you see those transformations and what industries you think are like the ripest for these kind of steps. So both types of organizations are incredibly important. So if I give you an example, we actually started a year before Innocent Drinks were started. They were friends of ours at the time and we've worked with them over the years. You know, innocent, a fruit smoothie, great values, fantastic work that they've done in their supply chain around the business in terms of they really have managed their impact as well as possible. You know, they grew into a big company. They were then bought by Coke. They're now global and they've continued to do many, if not all of those things and can continue to be a brilliant business. So in a sense, That's a perfect example. If we'd gone, oh, you're too small, that would have been a shame because actually 
that tenant. And I work with an organization called The Craftery, which is about identifying and helping grow more sustainable brands within sectors. I can't remember a person coming to us in the last 10 years with a new idea where it hasn't had some sort of better materials, trying to change the way the model works in order to try and do things better. And that's great when you integrate those things into the way a business works from day one. It makes it a lot easier. But we've still got Coke, big old Coke there, and it's dealing with some legacy issues. And in a sense, we've done lots of work with them and they've changed unbelievably as well over the years. And those two things are very important. And so I don't think they're one or the other. I think we've got to look at both of them together. When you talk about what's the ripest sector, I have always been of the view that if you take a sort of a human body and you put a line between it, anything that's sort of close to that line, so we eat food, so that goes down the middle of our body, right? And therefore, there is a very powerful emotional relationship with what we eat and we want that to be better for us and we we care about it and we make decisions based on whether it's good or not good you know we might make lots of bad decisions but but there's a decision there's a dynamic decision there and therefore there's lots of ability to engage people on how you're more sustainably delivering that and then if you think about cosmetics you're putting it on your skin again it's still very emotional that's why we have natural not tested on animals you know all these different things that people then you've got clothes clothes have been slow but they're now really moving it's like different materials better materials you know and as you go further away from the body effectively it becomes less emotional now that's not to say that they shouldn't be managing their sustainability take a petrol company obviously it's further away but it's probably more down to the regulation and how governments manage those rather than the human purchase you know i still have a car and 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 i need petrol for that car and i drive past a petrol station but i don't decide oh gosh it's a bp garage i'm not going to go in there i think i need some petrol right so i'm not making the same brand decision perhaps as others so we've always been very focused on trying to help those organizations where there's a there's a consumer Mm. dynamic within the sustainability relationship yeah no that's really interesting and i think that emotional side to it is really important, right? Because when we're making these decisions, as much as we want to think about price points and all that kind of thing, I think the more educated customers are, the better decisions they can make about making sustainable purchases and how their spending dollars are are put to use. It's such an interesting area because I don't believe just because you have a sustainable asset with your brand that that means that people will be any more selfless than they were on any other decision making thing and i think organic is a really good example you know in this country organic really has never got more than sort of 11 or 12 percent and that's because organic is a it's you know it's a great thing it's a great thing for the planet organic is about how you farm and help the planet there is some 
perceived benefit in the product for me, but it's more of an intellectual benefit for what I'm helping with the rest of the world. And therefore, there is only a certain proportion of the population who's able to override those facts and say, yes, but I'm still prepared to do it for that price point. So I remember we were running a workshop for a client and they were very proud that they'd created, uh, so it was for uh, deodorant, and they'd created this new, more concentrated deodorant where the product was half the size of their competitors. And I said, well, this is a, we need to go out and sell the environmental benefits of this. And I really pushed back on that. And I said, is the importance, the environmental benefit to the end consumer, or is it because it's small and it's got double the quantity, it can go in their bag and they can use it through the day without it being this enormous thing that they've got to sort of lug around. That's a real consumer benefit. Now, the environmental benefit is a good one, but it's, is it enough to get it over the line? And I still think thinking about the consumer and what they need and they want is actually much more important. And if the environmental or social message comes in and works for that, fine, but don't be slavish just to that particular asset because you go, oh, wow, isn't this great? We've done an environmental thing. I don't think that helps. Not not everybody wants a dose of activism with their scoop of ice cream. You know, they might they might just want some nice Ben and Jerry's or something. Yeah, yeah, not, absolutely. Uh, that... Not have to think about saving the world at the same time. You know, we are in a world of of more aware consumers, and I think the younger generation, the millennials, they're coming at this with a you know a greater awareness of using their purchasing power in ways that are in alignment with their values. And they are taking the time to, you know, check this and look into that and call it out, which is also the scary bit too, right? Like if yeah. they're, well, if, if they're, they're not, not if, they, if if Ben and Jerry's weren't using the right type of milk and delivering a delicious product, then I don't think people would feel supportive of them then using it as a platform to have a point of view about the world. So you've got to have all those things in train for people to feel comfortable about it. I think. Yeah, no, exactly. I don't want to take up too much of your time. I have just a few more questions. One of the things I'm really interested to have your perspective on is sort of the political side of issues, because we've talked a bit about social, but I know you've had some experience working in politics in the UK there and messaging political change. And I think that more and more we are seeing corporations tiptoe around some of these issues and sometimes because they want to and sometimes because they don't you know whether it's a war in Ukraine or different political candidates that are running in their countries or their communities and you know it's a little bit of a different conversation than just a social campaign or a social cause that in theory has a global benefit but when you're looking at political issues so I'm curious one of our goals for this podcast is to be able to advise small businesses and large businesses about how they can start being corporate activists. And the political side, you know, I think is going to only grow, as you say, you know, we spoke about earlier, just how divisive the world is on social issues, but also on political issues, you know, inherently. And so I'm really curious what advice you might have for companies about how to navigate this political landscape as well. Yeah, and navigate, I think, is a really good word. First and foremost, I do believe that companies just shouldn't start thinking about the campaign. I think they need to start thinking about, you know, their business, 
being a a better business, you know, the impact that they have, however small or large, you know, on the world and, and what they can do about that. And I think that, that organisations need to think about politics with a small P, not a big P, in a sense. And therefore, I get back to social and environmental issues quite quickly. This isn't about the sort of corporates sort of weighing in to the big political issues. You know, I think they've got to listen to the point of view of people within their organization, make sense of that about who they are and what they're doing and how they're doing it, and go out to the world and responding to that and and being pretty humble, I think, in that process. So do I think that that means that organizations shouldn't campaign on some of the big issues of the day? Absolutely not. I think they should, but they need to be very confident and comfortable that they've been through that process internally with their stakeholders, who they are as a business, strategically aligning it, not just having a sort of random point of view about something that's that's not connected to their business at all. And, and then I think that it can show a strong, confident business that will stand up and be counted on those issues. I mean, we work with Avon Cosmetics, which is a fantastic global business that was set up 150 years ago in the US to provide financial independence for women wanting to have some of their own funds as they developed. And they could do that through their community. And it was sort of built to work for them. And over the last you know, 15 to 20 years, there's 7 million sales representatives doing that in basically every country in the world. And they've linked to global campaigns to that work, one which is about breast cancer and using the sales representatives' engagement in the community and that sort of very close relationship they have with the community to be able to translate new scientific information, new techniques for checking breasts, all these important things and getting them really into the root of the community. And then secondly, they've been doing amazing work around domestic violence, again, rather than transmitting into the community, because they're so embedded into the community, they could see signs for when domestic violence was happening within their community and they could be supportive, they could be there for them and they could then draw that out and provide solutions for women in that situation. I mean, how brilliant is that? That's about using the strengths and resources of the organization to affect two fundamentally important issues that felt very natural and authentic, one going outwards, one coming inwards, but both using this organization incredibly well to do that. And that's thoughtful corporate activism. There's no one standing there going, they shouldn't be involved in this issue. And it makes total sense that they are and they're doing an amazing job with it. So that's what I believe in. And I think if it doesn't feel like that, if it feels tacked on, if it feels like it's just someone picking the issue of the day and saying something in order to sound different to somebody else, that's when it doesn't feel authentic. But, you know, I think it, that takes a lot of work internally, right, to really know your values. Absolutely. And to to sort of revisit them, you know, when things come up, like, okay, well, should we say something about Ukraine? Or should we say something about, you know, this, this earthquake? Yep. Or should, you know, it, it, does it make sense for us to, to have a position on this or not? And, you know, I think companies need to have some 
some core values, but they, they need to be able to revisit those as these things are affecting them. And then when someone comes to them and says, well, what do you think about this? You can either say, well, actually, that's out of our purview, or they can come back with a really, you know, nuanced and educated position on something. Absolutely. And, you know, I think recently things like companies posting the sort of Black Lives Matter, the black square, yeah, right, just didn't right. feel real and authentic. It's like, you know, I think that someone's done some work looking at all those organizations who did that and seeing whether since then they had changed their policies relating to it. And very few had. Don't leave corporate activism as a response mechanism in the comms department. It's got to feel that it's sort of part of you know, where the, what the organization stands for and what the operations believe in, what the people of that organization represent, and that it's the people's voice within that organization that it's expressing. And they don't have to speak out on everything that comes up, right? Like, I think also knowing what's relevant to you and your stakeholders is a key part of this. I think that, again, comes back to really knowing your core values and, you know, what's important and putting those into action on a regular basis. Yeah. Know, your, know yourself, yeah. your corporate self, yeah. I think is, is, a, is a very important message. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, Giles, you've been amazing. I really have appreciated this conversation. Thank you so much. And for us, we're coming at this a little bit new. So it's really nice to have your depth of experience in this area. And it's incredibly useful. I've got two wrap up questions, if you'll indulge us. The first one is a chance to give a shout out to a brand or a company that you feel is doing some really incredible work in this space. Yeah, well, I, I think I, I just bl blurted that out <laughs> in Avon? my last answer. I do think uh, Avon, yeah. I, I re reflecting on, on, on that question, I do think that they of course they could do more, but I do think it just feels so natural and authentic yeah. and, and such a powerful way to use their 7 million sales reps that I right. think they should get that shout out. Yeah, no, that's fabulous. And it was a program I wasn't aware of. So I'm. Um, great. it's really great to hear about that. And is there something that made you laugh recently? Well, I'm a trustee of an organization called Talking Taboos, which sort of does what it says on the tin. And last night we did our 2023 report of the sort of emerging taboos and I've never been in a room with 200 people and heard so many times people talking about vulvas and vaginas. And, <laughs> and I have to say that it was just, it was uncomfortable, but I smiled at the end of it because <laughs> right. I thought this is exactly the point, which is if I didn't feel uncomfortable, then it wouldn't be an yes. emerging taboo. And it's really great that we can sit here and actually say these words and, you know, not run a mile. And so it did make me smile in a nervous way. Right, right. Well, and perhaps less next time you hear it, you'll feel yeah, just exactly. that, that, that little bit more that, comfortable. That, that, I hope <laughs> would be, the, it would be the, the outcome. Right. Well, Giles, I will remind our listeners that you put out a great newsletter every Friday. It's called Friday Five, I believe. And thank you. In there, you have just a few points on these kind of topics around corporate activism, social impact. And I really recommend it so people can subscribe and follow you there. And we'll put some links to Good Business and some of your other activities. I think the Sustainable Restaurant Association, which is also doing some really great and important work. But Giles, you've been an amazing guest and I really appreciate everything you've shared. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Corporate Activist. Please stay tuned for future episodes and do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can follow us on X and Instagram at Cork Activist. We'd love to hear from you. And if you have questions of your own or need some advice about corporate activism, social impact, and political engagement, please send them our way and we will respond in future episodes. The Corporate Activist is brought to you by Stance Advocacy Services and is produced by the good people at the Podcast Boutique. I'm your host, Siri Kalsa. Ciao for now. Thank you.